movies by minutes. Project number five. It's Silverado this time. That's no jive. By Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the show. Best settled up now, kids, because here we go. Howdy! Bang, bang! Yeah, and welcome back to another episode of the Silverado Minute Podcast, where each week, Movies by Minutes hosts, that's that's us, examine the 1985 Lawrence Kasdan-directed Western Silverado. One minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Forsyth. And I'm the other one, Todd Lucas. And today we're examining Minute 45. Uh, which opens with a bit of snowy celebration and ends with Emmett and the boys dragging the babysitter's corpse home on his own horse. Yikes. That's dark. While I was writing these notes, I could not for the life of me recall a guy's name, so he's just referred to as the babysitter the whole time. Well, that's okay. When I was typing up my my notes, uh, I couldn't remember his name either. I eventually found it. It's Conrad. Okay. But um, I was typing it in a place where I wasn't able to look it up, and uh, I, I substituted it. I think it was Goober. Goober. What for his name? Goober, so, the babysitter. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. <laughs> there is where Peyton and Emmett are still trailing behind the, uh, what, stampeding? Yeah, horse party. Uh, the horse party yeah. that is coming out of the canyon. The cash box still trailing behind them at the far end of the rope, bouncing end over end. The horses, the, the free running horses run past Mal and Conrad, who are waiting on the, uh, I guess, on the side of the trail, uh, their rifles still in their hands, but, you know, sort of at ease at this point. No one seems terribly concerned that there may be bandits behind them. <laughs> well, they don't have any horses, so they're going to take a while. Yeah, but it doesn't also doesn't seem like they went very far, eh. so uh, it's not going to take that long. It's a good uphill run for a bunch of people in cowboy boots. I mean, Dawson's not going to make it. He's already got breathing problems. <laughs> He's going to die. But- <laughs> Some of those other background bandits seem like they could they could probably get up there pretty quick. But anyway, Mal and Conrad are still atop their horses. Emmett and Peyton slow down. Payton. I keep calling him Peyton, but it's Payton, right? It's not a real name, um, man. It's written down. It's <laughs> real enough to me. But they, they slow to meet them and they're all having sort of a low-key celebration and sort of laughing about their successful ruse we do get a quick shot atop the ridge of a a lone rifleman seems to be peering down over our heroes and scooting up to the ridge and he looks like he's heading for cover but he's not doing it very quickly so if someone were watching they would see him but it seems like nobody's watching so you can't look everywhere at once man especially when you're celebrating yeah well, you're right. They're getting a little cocky at this point. Like, we put one over on them. But this rifleman here at the top of the ridge, do do you think this is the same guy, the lookout from minute 40-whatever, two? Two or three, one, something, like, something that. like that. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. the same dude because once the, the shooting starts, that guy had just looked up on the ridge, and I don't know if he actually saw anything, and that's why he started climbing back up. Towards you know the top of because uh, he's kind of hiding on a ledge far you know farther down from the actual lip of the canyon. Yeah. So it's like I guess he's trying to get another vantage, but by the time he finally does, action has uh, 
progressed to a different level. Yeah, that that guy did slink off and and didn't really give us much indication what he was up to. And then we see another slinky guy at the top of a ridge. Eh, That's probably the same dude. So, you know, either either it's him. They had some other sentinel up there basically doing the same thing in another location. Yeah. Because there's no way any of those dudes in the Box Canyon have gotten on top of the canyon by now. No, No. definitely. They don't have any Spider-Men amongst them, so. (laughs) <laughs> it does seem like if you were going to camp out in the bottom of a, a box canyon, you'd want, I would say, like four sentries, right? Like two at each end. Something like on that. Either either end of the ridge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I either. don't even know I'd want like a single dude, even though this guy was obviously just meant to like be behind anyone who came charging into the, you know, on at ground level through the canyon. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would still want like two for each position that I set up. Just to keep each other covered, and it, they're criminals. Yeah, and, and yeah. you got to show your 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 employees. That's in air quotes, folks. That you don't trust any of them. <laughs> Dawson really needs to be on top of them a little better. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know they seem to have plenty of dudes down there. I, maybe they don't have plenty of rifles. There seem to be lots of handguns. Yeah, hanging out down there. So maybe they don't have the weaponry for. Sentry duty. Potentially. But, uh, yeah. I mean, last time I, I knew anything about prices of new weapons back in around this period, uh, I think uh, you could get like a Colt Peacemaker for like 45 or 50 bucks, which was, you know, a small fortune back then. But one of these Henry rifles probably would have been four times that much. Yeah, sure. And then, of course, the ammunition cost is way different between handgun and rifle. If you're an outlaw, though. I'm, well, you're stealing it. Feels like the sort of thing you could come up with. Yeah, right. At this point, Peyton has dismounted and he's he's reeling in his cash box uh, like it's a, a fish at the end of end of the line, and he's lifting it up to, I guess, lash it to his horse or something. I don't know. It seems like that would be a hard thing to get to balance on a horse, but what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> Emmett is he's sort of he's celebrating what apparently was Mal's idea, right? He he tells him that was some idea of yours. Next time you go in, <laughs> you know, I, I, it sort of we get a. A reaction shot from Mal, so that was what kind of makes me think that there, that that it was his plan. At this point, Conrad cocks his rifle and sort of he doesn't point it at anyone, but it's not no longer like in his hand pointing up towards the towards the air. He's got a finger on the trigger, and the other hand is sort of leveling it off towards the level of people. But he's not really he's not threatening anyone with it. Let's say. Maybe he is kind of pointing it in Mal's direction, not Mal's direction. Sorry, Emmett's direction. That's the closest target, really. Yeah, yeah. It's at people level, but he's not like sighting it at a person. I don't. No, it's just generally towards the people. Generally nervous posture for a man unaccustomed to hanging out with dudes like this. Yeah, yeah. And he says, "I knew it." Now put that box on my horse, and it. It's not immediately clear what he knew. It seems like. Very little, because like you said, he does seem quite nervous. <laughs> he does seem, uh, I mean, you got to wonder if all this bravado has uh, sort of amped him up and, and made him think that this is a good idea or that he's got to prove something to these guys or I don't know what. Uh, I, I think maybe just their general attitude here now that they've they've won this little bit of a victory kind of celebration makes him think, oh, God, these guys definitely are going to take everything get the feeling that uh, he's talked to people in the train about all of this. They're upset with being taken by other cowboys. And right. now these guys, 
some people try it, trusted him. Uh, probably a bunch of people didn't and like talk to him. You know, that's why he went in the first place. You know, he's seen what the men of this type are capable of. He's seen what these guys are capable of, right? Like he's, he's the initial, uh, you know, Tom and, uh, Nord, Nord. Tom and Nord, Nord have, uh, have taken them for, for their cash. And he may not see the distinction between these guys and and Tom and Nord, you know, he, he, he thinks they're all capable of, of doing bad things. So therefore they must all naturally do bad things. Right. So I don't know what that says about Conrad. Well, right? Like, I, I think he's just, yeah. Babe in the woods syndrome here. I mean, he, he was, yeah. he's so amped up on all this going on when the shooting started and when mouse first started his assault from the, the Ridge, he, yeah. uh, at one point Conrad chips in a couple of shots, but then I don't think he does for, for you know, at all after that. I think maybe he's he's just a little too wired about it. Maybe he's just watching Mal at that point, but he's not watching yeah. close enough. I mean, he doesn't realize that that Mal could easily have just shot everybody that he was aiming at, like, that he was literally putting right. the shots right. exactly where he wanted them to. And that right. that should, by that virtue, he should have been like, okay, these guys are not terrible at the very least. You know, maybe this is going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's probably true. Like he, he saw what was going on, but he didn't, see what right. was going on right yeah but when as soon as he makes his accusation peyton drops the cash box to the ground and he's very indignant he puts his hands on his hips and is like really dude you know that's the sort of the he doesn't say that but that's the the look that he's giving and he cuts back to conrad and you can see the the doubt of his conviction start to creep into his convictions right like he's like maybe this is a mistake he, he it doesn't seem like it's going the way he thought it would, or it, maybe he's f- not feeling the threat that he initially thought there would be right. coming from these guys. Yeah. I guess maybe he was expecting them to, to like get mad right away, you know, like in a violent fashion. And, and it, sure. Were, I mean, the first reaction you get is like you said, Peyton just drops the cash box and it's, you know, it's basically it is him going, look, if this is the way it's going to be, you can carry your own box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go right. over and get it. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, the fact that they don't immediately draw weapons on him, they may have surprised Conrad to not be staring down the, the barrel of, of a gun in this point. I mean, he is, but he doesn't know it. Yeah, but like, seriously. Not from these guys. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but then we cut back to a bus shot of Mal, and he, you know, he's sort of still smiling and celebrating but then as soon as that line comes in, his his face drops the, the celebratory tone and, and picks up a much more somber and disappointed parent sort of look and says, Mr. You got a lot to learn about people. Yeah. I mean, just so sad. Yeah. <laughs> and it really is. <laughs> yeah. Because we, we find out right after that that he's not ever going to get the opportunity to learn any more about people because we get a, a shot of our our lurking rifleman, and then we see a, a a burst of smoke erupt from from behind this this rock that he's behind, and we hear the shot ring out, and it causes this sort of candy colored wound mm. to open up on Conrad's chest. Yeah, and they're using some weird squibs in this show. All I gotta say, it, it, it's it's a sort of traditional westerny sort of looking thing. You get a lot of strange. Mm, yeah. yeah wounds coming out of kind of coming out of it's like a, Western, a laffy so. taffy packet exploded from his shirt <laughs> yeah yeah i mean go watch the wild bunch and there's a lot of blood and guts but it all looks 
kind of goofy in parts. Yeah, like I'm sure it is. I haven't seen that since it was new. So I was a much younger person yeah. who didn't really have that kind of discerning. <laughs> you know, it's just bad. The shot causes Conrad to to jerk back and fall off his horse. And this then brings, you know, maybe this is brings the the shots that Conrad expected for himself. You get just three whip whip around quick shots from the you know one from everybody. We get one from from the Henry rifle and two pistols back up towards the rim, towards the gunman who's behind cover, sort of. Like, yeah. He's like two-thirds behind cover. Yeah, you know, and it's at, at a really high angle, too, so. Yeah, but all of these quick shots from weapons that really shouldn't have that kind of accuracy or range, they all manage to either find their mark or very close to its yeah, mark. Yeah, and I, I, I think he only takes one hit, and I'm pretty sure it's from Mal's rifle. I think that's what we're meant to think, but if you can... Yeah, because if you go through it real slow, you see that Mal actually managed to get it up to his shoulder. He takes proper aim, whereas everybody yeah. else is, you know, shooting from the hip, basically, you know, just whatever, you know, their their normal style of shooting. Yeah. You know, I'm going to doubt that Emmett did it. Peyton has been made out to be that guy that never misses anything, so it could yeah, right. potentially be him, but I'm pretty sure it's just Mal that took him out. I think that's correct. I think you do kind of see some stone shards ricochet off, too, so I think we're meant to think that one of them hit him and then the other two got real damn close yeah. kind of thing. And well, it, it's it's still pretty damn impressive. I want to know how much yeah. rehearsal they had to do to, to make their shots come off that, that close, because them actually firing blanks from the weapons so the reports that even if they recorded reports in adr they have like flash and smoke that all go off like almost directly on time yeah yeah it's pretty well coordinated yeah and you can tell these these are men of action that's what a man of action does a shot rings out right. everybody tracks the sound right back to where it came from and boom that's right there's it's a I don't know if it's a learned skill or if it's uh, you know just a thing that comes with being being a, a good guy white hat kind of kind of cowboy or or what. But eh, it's the kind of life and work that these guys have had for themselves over time because none of these guys have been super good guys in their past. They've all got no. pasts where you know Emmett just went to jail and Peyton is. Got people from his past trying to get him to like work for them again, and he keeps saying, "I'm not doing that ever again." Kind of stuff, and yeah, you know, what well, what was Mal? Was he he was he was in the army? Was he Is that where he came from? I forget what was going on there. I'm sort of forgetting his backstory. I know this family's farm backstory, but I, I can't remember specifics about him now. Now that we're now that we're talking about <laughs> but it, but yeah, so. he's fairly dark. And I mean, when we first see him, I mean, he's toting rifle and pistols and bandoliers full of ammunition into a bar. Yeah. Well, and he's estranged from his wholesome family. So we, we know that at least at that level, he's, um, I don't want to say up to no good, but like, that's sort of the picture it paints. Yeah, right? a little bit. At least, uh, you know, yeah. he'd moved into a line of work that his parents disapproved of. Right, right. So once Conrad's been taken out, the the music that had sort of been churning up underneath really kicks into a slow mourn. This sort of aftermath of it is pretty cool. Watching the, the, w the camera rests on our three remaining heroes and, you know, they their guns kind of lower down slowly and they look, as they look off to, to Conrad, you know, it's clear that they're having some remorse here i mean it's not conrad was clearly a jerk to them just very recently and he 
was not someone they knew from a long time ago. So it's it's not the good times of this person that they're lamenting. It's I'm sure that they felt responsible for keeping this greenhorn right. alive and they were trying to help him and, and get his money back to, to him and his family and, and, you know, his whole group. Yeah. And it's just the fact that when you're a white hat and all these people dying around you, it's, it's just such a waste, you know? Yeah. yeah. Ah. Well, and, and, you know, they, they're trying to do good things for this wagon train and, you know, in theory, Conrad is probably one of their, tougher guys you would think like he's the guy that that stands up to to go with them to to protect the wagon trains assets you know he's he's not the guide right the the grizzled old veteran guy who, who's who's leading it but he's the the young strong guy the the husband of the the really only other person from the wagon train we we learn their name and talk to and i wonder if they're feeling more protective of that group now right like because they've lost one of their protectors and and is it becoming more clear to them that these wagon trainers are too green to be out here and, and they're gonna need extra help if this is the best they can i i think that they're just forgetting how they were when they were you know young and inexperienced because when you're out here as a wagon train there's a reason why you go out with so many people is because you know you're gonna lose some along the way there's safety in numbers and Conrad went off by himself basically. And that's what happens. And, and it, from what I know of wagon trains, uh, there's a high likelihood that you'll die of dysentery. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah you shouldn't be out there at all, but if you feel that you have to make sure to stay together, people. <laughs> that's right. On the seat, on the site, tvtropes.com, it's a sort of a great place to kind of look up tropes, right? Like they have all sorts of very, specific tropes that that you know may only pop up in two or three places but this movie silverado essentially has its own page of them right because it it essentially is such an homage that it's pulling all the tropes right. out of it's assembled from tropes, theoretically so. right right and, and conrad is certainly one of them and it's 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 pretty fun so let me i want to read you the little bit about conrad there his trope is the too dumb to live trope. And <laughs> I like it. He's not even t named on the site. It's uh, just Hannah's husband. He's a rude and suspicious jerkass who even and and jerkass by the way is another trope. So you can <laughs> follow the the link to that one to find out about the jerkass trope. So he's a trope within a trope. So uh, he's rude and suspicious who even after Payton, Emmett, and Mal helped recover his wagon train stolen money thinks that they were just after it for themselves. It gets him killed when he turns his gun on them, delaying them just long enough for the last of the outlaws who stole it in the first place to shoot him dead. Yeah, it's a, a pretty good solution <laughs> of Conrad. I think I think we painted maybe a better picture of him than than TV tropes does. We we gave him perhaps a a more fitting memorial. But yeah, more of a benefit of the doubt. We're we're, yeah. we're not as uh, cutting or scathing as TV tropes is. So true, true. Of course, that's not our job. That's their job. <laughs> that's right. The minute sort of winds up, you know, we, we get a long shot of the wagon train moving through a valley of uh, who knows how, how far away it is. It's, it's clearly a different location because it's not as snowy. Right. Um, it's not not through a rocky canyon like this. They're sort of in the middle of a wider canyon. And it's, a, again, a, a fairly beautiful shot of a lot of wagons, a lot of horses, a lot of people moving through. And then we have the remaining heroes come into the foreground from off screen on the right 
they're, they're moving through the the three live heroes and and then conrad is sort of taking up payton's place slung across the horse uh that is trailing behind them where where he uh was faking it conrad not so much not yeah. a bit of an actor <laughs> yeah so i mean they're you know they're heading back to to join the wedding the wedding, wedding? Train. sorry the wagon train yeah. and that's that's pretty much where our minute ends on monday we talked about our experiences with larry kazdan as a fixture in our entertainment lives but we we didn't really talk much about our experiences with the western medium in general i don't know what if you have much in the way of thoughts to share what what's your relationship like with the western um the 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 classic western the old tv western uh it was it was something that was all over the place when i was a kid and i was really not interested in it it was it was (laughs) dusty it was brown it was it was very like we were talking about before a family friendly you know it's been kind of neutered down Mm -hmm. yeah there's violence and stuff but it was always the sort of thing that you know like if you're watching a tv show it would happen at the end of an episode you know you have to wait through all the boring yakety yak before you get to anybody doing anything yeah and as a kid it just wasn't for me i never really played cowboys and indians or anything like that but um i think i think for me uh, westerns really kind of kicked into gear with the movie unforgiven Hmm, sure. And, you know, I only saw it the one time, but uh, for some reason, my father was, he was interested by this, you know, and so one day we decided we were going to go out and see this movie that he wanted to see. You know, mom wasn't interested, so just, you know, us men went out and saw it, and I, you know, was maybe in high school then? I don't remember when that came out, but I was not that old. But it was, it was really dark and grim, and, you know, it had a lot of people that I knew in it, you know, actors, and... uh uh, now thinking about it now, it was full of tropes and stuff too. But it was also the start of, yeah. In my mind, it was the first modern western that I saw, and I, I remember enjoying it quite a bit. Even though I was thinking that that was really dark, I, I don't think I'm going to be going back to that one anytime soon. And obviously, I haven't. But then after that, things kind of got, I guess, a little more weird and a little more modern uh you know things like tombstone which i just i adore that movie that movie is great but then you know you had stuff like young guns and stuff like that you know like uh, it was interesting and it had all these you know these young actors who were going to be you know big stars during my my adolescence and young adult years that and that was kind of cool but then you know the movies themselves were in my opinion of middling quality at best you know they didn't really hmm. they didn't really measure up to tombstone or even unforgiven you know they were a little too i don't know they were a little too pop i guess <laughs> hmm. sure yeah i so in my household i was a big fan of the samurai sunday hmm. right like so after church or whatever we were doing on sunday we'd come home and there'd be a double feature of you know, either kung fu or there was sometimes the very actiony oriented kung fu movies or the slower sort of samurai movies, bad dubs. <laughs> uh, that was half of the fun of it for me. But my dad was a big fan of westerns. He, not so much the movies. He did like to, but the, so there were Saturday cowboy movies on on the UHF channels, right? They'd play a couple of them and of you know generally poor quality kind of you know the the movies that were essentially free for them to play right right? so that they that they had to pay the least amount of money for the most amount of content for he also read these louis l'amour books Mm. sort of skinny 
novels, all Westerns, and there seemed to be an unending amount of them. You know, we, we lived very close to a, a used bookstore and he would, you know, buy like 20 of them, read them all, go trade those in and then get 40 more. And I was like, do they never end? No. They, our house was just littered with those them. were like Harlequin romances for men. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Essentially. It, it, yeah. It would be, you know, it's the, it was the sort of thing that I, I believe like the, the, the men's action serial or men's adventure serials that are, basically yeah. dead now that, but you know, there used to be 40, 50, 60 books in a series, but they were all the, you know, 200 page, uh, you know, yeah. uh, black covered, uh, paperback, you know, that were all torn up because you know the black ones, they'd always show the wear at the spine right away. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. the Louis Lamar ones having more painted covers where they, you know, the painting would actually yeah. go around yeah. the, the, the spine. And I do remember yeah. stacks of them at your place in the summer. <laughs> we'd come yeah. by yeah, I'm like, wow, yeah. I thought Uncle Dave was cooler I, than that. <laughs> I, I mean, I never bothered to pick one up. They may have been great. I, to this day, have not read one. Um, and maybe I'm missing out. But so I, I, I really sort of was adverse to the Western for a long time until, I don't know, I don't think it was in college. I think it might have been, might have been in college when I got sort of my first exposure to the to the more spaghetti westerns, mm. Sergio Leone's, you know, the your your man with no name trilogy kind of stuff. And at first, those seemed just as goofy as the samurai movies to me, and they felt like they were analogous. And I think in a lot of ways they were. I think Leone was pulling in tropes not just from other westerns, but also from from the kung fu samurai movies. You know, I, th I think he had a lot of influences that he was pulling in and. The, the dubs were just as bad in those as they were in my in my samurai movies, which didn't bother me, you know, yeah. because I was I was used to that. So so those are much grittier than your Ronald Reagan <laughs> and Jim, Jim, uh, Jim Cagney, not Jim Cagney. Um, uh, oh, gosh. Uh, Jim, Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Westerns. Oh, you know, those. Those aren't real cowboys. <laughs> like you said, they're a little a little whitewashed, a little family friendly. Mm -hmm. And these these Italian movies were quite a bit more gritty and and sweaty uh, sweaty because yeah, yeah. these tv shows the american tv show western nobody ever sweat in these things right so these were very anti-hero stories and very few hero stories yeah. right so dark hats at long that point, coats that, right and those sorts of things apparently appealed to me more so at some point in in college i i did I, we can call it research because it was college right <laughs> i did watch a lot of westerns on on cable and and things like that and going back to some of the the black and white sort of uh singing cowboy kind of <laughs> kind of movies and I, I did learn to appreciate them but they, they were not my first uh my first western loves i suppose if it wasn't a singing cowboy with uh with uh, hidden aliens hiding in a cave i don't think i was interested so right <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah that's uh you know two guys in their I was going to say 30s, but we're in our 40s. Um, solidly. Solidly. Yeah. <laughs> um, experiences with uh, with Western movies. Yeah. There you go. Nobody nobody wanted to know, yeah. but we told you anyway. So. Ta-da. And for our next trick, we'll uh, wrap things up. Yeah. We are the hosts of Edge of Tomorrow Minute, which does the same whole thing. Movie Minute podcast for the movie Edge of Tomorrow. You can find... Past, present, and future episodes at edgeoftomorrowminute.com. We'd love you to come hang out in our Facebook listeners group called 
no jacket required an edge of tomorrow minute listeners group which is it's it's funny trust me that's it if you're into phil collins you're in the wrong place <laughs> we're into phil collins there too so come hang out talk phil collins talk edge of tomorrow come tweet at us at live die retweet is yes. that right live die retweet mm-hmm. yeah that's pretty funny <laughs> go poke at the Instagram. I think there's like two pictures on there now. Social media is it's good for some people. It's not good for me. So I I, I just <laughs> pretend like I know what I'm doing and then I swear at my phone like a grandpa. So listeners can find the rest of the Silverado podcast, which is this podcast that you're listening to right now. There's a bunch more before this one and a bunch more after this one. You can find them all on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, SilveradoMinute.com. There's also social media for this show. You can find the listeners group on Facebook. It's called The Midnight Star, the Silverado Minute Listeners Saloon. We don't call it a group, we call it a saloon. And on Twitter, at SilveradoMXM. That's all one word squished together. 